WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 171, an episode presented by Yeti. Before we get to today's episode, though, we should get to the surfing news from this past week. Here are three things for you to ponder while you sit in your own lineups. The first, San Clemente's Griffin Colapinto announced on his personal Instagram that he'd been surfing the back half of this CT season with a torn labrum in his right hip, an injury suffered while competing in Western Australia. He's now had his surgery and reported that his recovery window will be two to four months. He is planning on returning to the CT alongside his freshly qualified brother Crosby for the season opener at Pipeline, wishing him a speedy and full recovery. The second, now this isn't fresh, fresh news, but it is worth mentioning that Channel Island surfboards recently signed Hawaiian Baron Mamiya to their team in the off season. With the second year of the Visla CT Shaper rankings around the corner, the world's best board builders are likely setting their teams up for a run at the throne, currently occupied by San Clemente's Matt Biolas and Mayhem Surfboards. A cursory look at the incoming Challenger Series classes for the men's and women's, you know, the breakdown of the Shaper team members is pretty well dispersed from that tier. You have five for the reigning Visla CT Shaper of the Year Mayhem Surfboards in Cole Hauschmann, Crosby Colapinto, Eli Hanneman, Cade Matson, and Sawyer Lindbad. You got 
two uh, incoming for each of JS, DHD, and Channel Islands. You've got Samuel Pupo and Frederica Marias for JS, Jacob Wilcox and Isabella Nichols for DHD, and Ima Kalani DeVault and Alyssa Spencer for Channel Islands. And then you have a surfer apiece for Sharpeye, Slater Designs, Pizel, and TNC Surfboards. You got Jake Marshall for Sharpeye, David Silva for Slater Designs, India Robinson for Pizel, and Sally Fitzgibbons for TNC. Pretty exciting stuff. We will continue to monitor this offseason and see where we end up on the eve of the 2024 CT season. And finally, it seems, uh, perhaps, maybe, uh, we are cautiously optimistic about the reported transition from La Nina to El Nino is maybe happening. The Pacific Northwest is heating up. The North Shore is getting waves. California is getting waves. Europe's getting waves. We will see how it goes, but I hope all of our listeners uh, both stay safe, but also get some waves this upcoming season. All right, episode 171. Today's guest is someone who hails from the New York surfing community of Long Beach. He developed into one of the most respected big wave surfers on the planet, appearing everywhere from Nazare to Piahi to Mavericks and beyond. He's also the co-founder of Scoot and Surf and Surf for All. I really enjoyed this episode. I hope you do too. Here is the lineups conversation with New York's Will Scootin, an episode presented by Yeti. The good old clap, take one. That's right. How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did. I wanted to be a world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? We can shut you. Yes. And now I just say, put him up once, it's gone. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. I thought you were All right, we are back, and we have a very special guest with us today, hailing from the proud surfing hamlet of Long Beach in New York. He is a regular fixture in lineups at some of the most heavy waves on the planet, from Nazare to Jaws to Mavericks and beyond. He is the first New Yorker to ever earn a spot on the big wave circuit, and he finished third alongside Andrew Cotton in the 2022 Tudor Nazare Challenge. He is the co-founder of Scoot and Surf and his nonprofit Surf for All, which is dedicated to exposing individuals to and cultivating their joy for the ocean. We have the incredible Will Scootin. Will, thank you so much for joining us on the lineup. Thank you, Dave. Thanks for having me. Appreciate now, it. Well, it's our pleasure. And, and I, I kind of mentioned you are sort of a, one of Long Beach's favorite sons, if not the favorite son. Are you, are, you, are you talking to us from Long Beach, New York today? I'm a little up the block um, from Long Beach in Rockville Center here at Florida Media. Um, our production manager, Jay Felskis, he uh, travels with me everywhere I go. And he's got this awesome uh, uh, podcast place here and creative zone, actually, for... Uh, a lot of a lot of influential people come through this space, and uh, so we're just blessed to have him set us up here right now. So, so yeah, up the block from the house, but here here with Jay in the spot. You guys look dialed in, maybe more dialed in than we are. I'm a little bit jealous, but <laughs> you know, it's um, for those of us that have been on the West Coast for I know depending on how long, but certainly like the last 12 months, it's been a rough few seasons. And so for most of us, we're kind of desperately looking around the world being like, where have there been waves? And you can heat check me on this, but it looks like the East Coast has had a really good run of swell for the last several weeks. Is that is that fair to say? 
Yeah, we we actually this is the first year in a while that we've had like overlapping swells. Mm. So it was no break in between hurricanes. So it was just you know, we had every letter basically starting from like you know, the first few always kind of ABC kind of kind of start somewhere early in the season kind of fade away, but then from like D all the way up it was just overlapping every single hurricane. It was insane like couldn't there was no time to take a break it was it was one of those special seasons for sure now are you in are you at a point in your life where you can when the, when you get a system like that and there's going to be multiple weeks of swell up and down the eastern seaboard can you break away and and hunt waves up and down the coast or do you stay pretty close to home these days um we were lucky that most of the swell models kind of were hyper focused in the northeast this year um there was a few outer banks days that i I should have got in my car, but I guess the uh, getting a little older now and just like, I don't know, sacrifice a little bit of wind, but still score at home. And, but yeah, I did travel. We went, we went up North and uh, scored a slab. I had uh, my, my, my tow partner, um, Andrew Cotton in town for Hurricane Lee. So I wanted to show him a different area of the East coast. And we kind of gambled on the back end of Hurricane Lee and scored some crazy slab up North and, so it was cool. You know, I did a couple little missions out east and up north, but for the most part, the backyard was just pumping for 20 days straight. And wow. everybody, like the first few swells, everybody comes. Literally, everybody in California shows up and, you know, it gets really busy, but there's magic in that. You know, think about it. People are traveling across the country to come to New York to surf. I mean, you know, yeah, it gets busy, but the, the talent level in the water at one point was pretty incredible. It was pretty cool to see. It is cool. And it's something that comes up a lot on this podcast. And usually we talk about it through the, the lens of it's changed so much since the internet, right? Where, you know, 20, 30 years ago, if you were a young surfer, like your point of exposure to world-class surfing was either the best person at your beach or the occasional VHS, or if the tour came to town and you could see, you know, like, you know, CT surfers come and surf the same waves that you surf every day. Um, I wonder if there's a version of that that's still true. Cause I always think it's the same where you may think someone surfs a particular way, either watching them on a YouTube clip, but then seeing it in person really like it shows you kind of the finer points of how that person approaches wave riding. And I'd imagine that having a bunch of international surfers come to New York when it's pumping is not only great for you, but probably great for a bunch of the kids to see as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have, uh, a deep there's a deep heritage of like really good surfers from New York that mm. go back generations. Um, but you know, during certain times the, you know, when you insert somebody at a high level into our community, um, you know, it definitely raises the level of surfing. You know, you could see it like Ryan Carlson showed up mm. back when we were young, but we're at a very pivotal time for the young guys like, like Balaram and TJ and leaf and, uh, the way he approached the wave, um, definitely, you know, put a lot of, uh, you know, it just changed the, those kids were probably seven, eight years old when they saw the way he was doing airs on these little waves. And so that, that was, you know, every time somebody at that higher level has shown up, it's kind of, you could see there is a spike in uh, progression in the area, especially when people put time in, hmm. it's really nice when like the visitors come in and, and actually put time in and, you know, like when Cotty came, he, he hung out, uh, went by a few of the, you know, few of the 
the boys' houses, you know, did a, did a nonprofit outing with the crew, um, you know, and just kind of was a part of the community. So I know everyone's traveling through and it's, it's hard to like spend time, but you know, when those, when people do travel through and they, they actually spend an extra day to, to be a part of the community, it really goes a long way with New Yorkers for sure. I think that's such a good point you bring up too, because we see it on tour and a lot of us have been guilty of it as well, where you end up talking to someone who's been, you know, professional surfer has been touring for whatever reason for years and years and years. And there's kind of two camps. There's the people that are really filled with regret because they're like, I didn't make those connections. I, I, you know, I would, I'd zip in, I'd zip out, I'd keep to myself and I'd, I'd try to get my job done and get out of there. Then there were the people that, as you pointed out, like spent time, spent the extra days, like tried to settle in, tried to connect with the community. And even, you know, decades on, those are the people that still have those lasting relationships where they can call someone up and they'd be welcomed back into the community as well. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a the bottom level of being a human, right? Like, mm. you know, give respect to get respect kind of thing. And I think, like, that's just globally with any sport or any traveling anywhere. And, uh, I, you know, I feel like if you're an experienced surfer that's uh, trying to surf and travel, you kind of know that, right? Mm. So I feel like for the most part, I think that people are doing it correctly. And, um, you know, I've been, you know, seeing a lot of good stuff. I Honestly, this, this hurricane season, the vibes were ridiculously good like everybody was stoked from visitors to locals to yeah this is a this is a hurricane season to remember it was just everybody had their day like every dog has its day kind of quote you're right it's it this season allowed us to celebrate like every single local boy like i remember just like one swell or one day would like there'd be one winner every day and uh, there's just a magic to that because we don't really get that too much, you know. Right. Uh, some seasons, you know, it, you can you only go home at the end of a season talking about three or four waves the whole season. Right. This year, I mean, there was so many waves. I watched of all my friends and family, and I had sessions with literally every single person I grew up with, all the uncles, all all the visitors. Like I had, I was able to surf with everybody. So it was really fun. You know, I stayed at home mostly and I got like really good, you know, sessions just in the back. There's really honestly nothing better than scoring in your backyard, no matter where you are from in the planet. But there is something special about looking in the background, seeing the skyline, right? As far as like, you know, New York is, uh, it's a, ma it's in a magic place. I didn't realize how magical it is. It New York really is until I started traveling when mm -hmm. I realized like how accessible our beaches are and you know, when I was travel, when I was younger, I was like, wow, man, you really like, you need a car. You need to like get to this parking lot. You need to pay this guy. You need to park here. You need to like, you needed to travel to surf in other places to get good waves a lot. Um, and I was just, you know, wasn't until like I started traveling. I'm like, wow, like there's a lot of people of all different walks of life in New York that just can walk to the beach or take a train and be in 30 minutes, be surfing. So the accessibility to the ocean in New York is, is pretty rad. And it's, it's great to see, you know, the diversity in the lineup and just the joy in the lineup, to be honest with you. That's great to hear. Now you are someone who always has worn what I think are kind of a lot of different hats as far as being a professional surfer. And I think you probably still do today for our listeners benefit. If you had to kind of outline what is your career in 2023? How would you describe it? 
Uh, you know, surfing is, it's, it's, it's a small market, right? So if, uh, if you want to stay in the sport and have money in the sport and pay your bills, you have to, um, diversify your portfolio, right? So, um, I grew up in a family of teaching surfing. My grandfather taught surfing. My mom taught surfing. Uh, me and my brothers carried on that family tradition and turned it into more of a ocean education surf camp. And uh, we're just blessed to be able to teach like tens of thousands of uh, families throughout every summer to surf here in New York. And we just, you know, the, the ocean education program are really not only just teaching the kids, like, you know, you're not just standing up, but them going home with a respect for the ocean. You know, maybe they're showing up where they're looking at it as a pool and then they leave and understanding it's alive. And that's kind of our goal. So yeah, the, the surf camp has uh, evolved over time and uh, that's just been amazing. We also have a swim program. My mom has built that curriculum from, uh, from little tiny babies all the way up. And my brother Dave and Woody uh, run the help with the swim programs. And my brother Cliff, there's four of us, he's uh, uh, my partner in the surf program. So you know, we're working with kids that have literally learned to swim with my mom from an infant that are now like, you know, like a CJ Mangio, East Coast surfing champion, came through our program. Um, you know, you got kids uh, like Bo Chan, recent, you know, kids, he's 15 now. I think he got second in Easterns, came up through our program. So it's like we're getting to see like it's pretty magical. Like when we first started, we just, we honestly just didn't want a lifeguard anymore. We were like, <laughs> how do we just, uh, how do we do something else besides, you know, because we, we love the act of lifeguarding, but man, we can't sit still. Uh, it's just in our DNA. So, so yeah, it really evolved into um, a beautiful family business. And so the surf camps and the swim programs are, um, have been great. And uh, obviously I still have good relationships with my sponsors and, um, you know, surfing big waves and then the wave pool experience at American Dream Mall. So that, that's amazing. That's been the last three years. That's just been uh, the ultimate Rubik's cube of, of my life, trying to figure that whole thing out. And, and it, it's, uh, it has its own community over there now and it's, it's very healthy and it's a, uh, it's really, really epic experience. So if you're ever in town, come check that out. Um, and then, you know, just, um, you know, just uh, a few other things, a lot of creative things, you know, we do a lot of creative consulting with some brands and, you know, thinking outside the box and, you know, we, we're always dipping and weaving, but I feel like the, the, the focus in any kind of business global, like for anybody is, you know, having multiple streams. I feel like this day and age, if you're coming up and you're trying to chase something is to really focus on having multiple streams. Cause you never know when th one stream could, could dry up. So just, just understanding that, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket, diversify your portfolio and just, you know, stay true to what you believe in and just stay focused and keep moving forward. Never get complacent, you know, never get, just keep moving and keep looking and ultimately do whatever you can to stay in the ocean. <laughs> yeah. Well, it feels like you've kind of built that organically around the rhythms of, of your life as a surfer too, right? Because, you know, I'd imagine that fall and winter, you've got your eye on, you know, swell charts and, and traveling and, and hunting kind of these bigger waves. And then you're able to come back in the summer, uh, spring and summer and, and, and work through kind of the, the surf school and the, the swim programs as well. I got really lucky with that one for sure. Hmm. Thank God that, our summer is when it is. 
right? Um, just because the northern hemisphere in the winter. So yeah, that was that's always been cool. We were able to at the end of big wave season be like, holy shit, we're still alive, and then we could celebrate our waves with our community and 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 share in our our, our failures and share in our experiences and and share those stories with with our community back at home and then the next season would come around and and uh you know me and my brother cliff kind of passed the puck for a while and uh we've had you know we've uh our wipeout reel is pretty uh pretty messed <laughs> up so yeah it's been uh the summers have been a great reset for us and it allows us to just breathe and uh you know just just absorb them what you know what happened throughout the winter and it's fun man it's 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 cool we got we got good people here in new york and you know out of anywhere i've traveled like the people in the northeast like and where i grew up like they really you know maybe just i'm biased because i'm from here but people really care about each other Hmm. like honestly care about each other and like like i get choked up even saying that because like I witness it like daily that people there's not a lot of jealousy there's not a lot of mm. hate in my hometown like people really care and uh i feel like this day and age that's something that's like really fading in 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 the world and yeah that's that's the beauty of like of where we're from is like we got a good community of people that really care for each other and will go out of their way for each other when 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 they need it and that's the, that's the hope, right? That we can keep that vibe alive with the youth, mm. especially here in New York and at home in the Northeast. Yeah. You know, kind of hearing you talk about that reminds me a little bit. I was talking to Raimana, um, you know, a while back and I said, man, you might, you might have the most polarizing surfing life on the planet because half your time in the water is spent you know, up at Surf Ranch in Lemoore, like coaching people into getting barrels and you're riding a big soft top. And then there's, it's just first gear to sixth gear. Like you go from that to like towing, you know, backless monsters at Chopu. I said, you don't have anything in the middle. Like, how do you, how do you keep your differential from getting split? Uh, I'd imagine it's, it's a similar challenge, but there might be a benefit in that. Like you were saying, where you come home, you come home to your community, you're doing the surf school, you're able to kind of decompress. Um, and then you, you get into big wave season. It's probably just a different set of muscles that you have working internally. Yeah. I mean, like I said, yeah, it just, they kind of, they kind of feed each other. Like I think in the world, right. There's, it's a battery There there Hmm. can't be a positive without a negative that there can't be up without a down. Like it's, it's a, you know, it's a round world. I like to say it's a round world. So, you know, if you, if you only have one side, if you're only focused on one thing and you're pushing just big waves, you know, there's, there's no reset. There's no, you know, so I feel like, and I just get a lot of joy, to be honest with you, from like foiling a one foot wave or, or teaching my friends or watching my friends. Like, you know, I, 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 I love watching people get good waves. I mean, there's just like, I don't know, there's something wrong with me. Cause there's like all these GoPro clips of me, like swimming out on good days and like yelling at my camera. Like there's a lot of joy in like watching. I, I like to say like everybody has their own 50 foot day, right? Mm. Like it doesn't have to be 50 foot for it to be 50 foot for you. Right. So like that 50 foot day, everybody has one and, and no matter who you are, it could be your first day surfing or you could be the best big wave surfer in the world. But I feel like that's the magic of surfing is it's the same feeling for everybody. 
when you're looking at you know reports about you know we've been in a La Nina El Nina transition cycle there's I'm not an expert but it from reading it sounds like we're entering into an El Nino year uh number one you probably know more than I do so do you agree with that and then number two does that at any level, uh, change your preparation or just change the way you feel about the upcoming winter season? Um, El Nino, that word scares me. <laughs> uh, yeah, man, it's true. Um, I grew up, I grew up uh, like uh, watching the 98 El Nino, mm. um, like all those clips on all those VHSs. And then the 2017 El Nino, um, that was, that was like when I was pushing as hard as I've ever pushed in my life. And, um, that was, if we, if anybody, I remember laughing with Jamie Mitchell and Jojo at the end of the season and we're like, Oh my God, I can't, we made it to the end of the season. It was like, it was like the amazing race, you know, it's like <laughs> just to make it to the end of the season is like, is a, was like a celebration and El Nino year. So yeah, I mean, mentally and physically I'm, you know, I'm ready for it, but you know, I'm definitely going to pick and choose my sessions this year. Um, you know, it, I had a, you know, I, I've been doing this like really hard for, since I was 17 years old. So 21 years. So it's coming to a point in my life where, um, I just really want to enjoy my friends, my family, everybody around me, but, um, and just be pickier. You know, we used to huck ourselves off windy, you know, 30 footers, I guess the Hawaiian, we call them 60 footers in, in the yeah. East coast, but Hawaiian language is 30 footers. But like, you know, I'm just going to try to try to be smarter and just really try to enjoy the, the people around me more and just more of the experience. I love it though. I, I always want to be there. It's hard to get that FOMO. You know, I didn't, I didn't go to that last Mavericks well. So yeah, it's tough, it's tough looking at it, but, um, but yeah, I, I'm ready. I just, I just want to be, I always said, I always say this, uh, I, I have a lot of stupid one-liners, but, uh, uh, never chase the first swell <laughs> because, uh, as a visitor and someone from New York and like, just like the way I've seen the world in the last 21 years of chasing swells, like, you know, just the first swell is just, it's good to let the first swell go by. You know, it, it, it there's a lot of hype behind it. The locals want their waves in their area. Um, you know, there's a lot of moving parts. It's always really tricky. Um, so moving forward, it's just never chase the first swell. And it, I mean, if you take that in your life, then like the second swell, the vibes of swell two compared to swell one are so much mellower. The energy in the lineup so much chiller. Like, like don't get me wrong, I've had good first swells, but there's some magic in in that quote. Just not don't chase the first swell. Uh, I like I don't it. Know. Uh, well, I, it's also just deeply respectful. Like <laughs> I really enjoy it. Yeah. Um, it's a good point. We're gonna uh, we're gonna take a quick break to get a word in from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. 
We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. All right, we are back. This is The Lineup. I'm Dave Prodan here with Will Scudin. Will, you spoke really eloquently about your community in that first segment, but g- give us some more details. You, you are born and raised in Long Beach, and, and, and what was family life like growing up? And uh, it sounds like you come almost from surfing royalty out of Long Beach there. Um, I, I was blessed, man. I, I, you know, raised right on the beach in uh, Lido and then Long Beach, New York right in Long Island, an hour from the city. Um, mom surfed, uncle surfed, dad surfed, everybody. You know, we're all lifeguards, swimmers. Swimming was like, I honestly, I remember going to school when I was six years old. And one of my friends told me that he, um, he didn't swim twice a day. And I was like, what? And I vividly remember this. And then I went home and my dad had to explain to me that some families are basketball families, some families are baseball families. So yeah, I was just born into water and it was just uh, my upbringing. So I just, you know, I, you know, you never, they say that, you know, you, you become really good or you master the things you don't remember learning. Mm. So I just got to give it to my parents, my mom and my dad for, you know, I never, I don't remember really learning how to swim you know I don't you know they had me on the front of their board since i was little so um yeah so i just i grew up in that environment where the ocean was my playground and i was just blessed to, to have that and you know we never really went on you know trips to go to amusement parks and stuff like that we just it was just grab the boogie board or the fins or the surfboard and go to the beach whether it was snowing or if it was hot out 
know, it was just part of our, we had like four different wetsuits we were putting on. <laughs> uh, it was a little wild, but uh, it was always our, our playground growing up. So just definitely blessed to, to have a family, you know, bring me up in the sea for sure. Well, I was going to ask, did you ever bristle against it where you're like, oh, you know, I want to play basketball or, you know, I want to go to a Jets game or whatever, or, or did you just, it was just a natural fit for you from the start? Um, we play, we have a lot of lacrosse players in our family, so we all were kind of forced into lacrosse, <laughs> but um, yeah, I was, I'm just, I'm just not good at it. You know, my bro, my cousin was actually MLB uh world champion lacrosse player like Mike Scudin, my cousin Ian went to went to college for lacrosse so there's definitely the lacrosse thing kind of merges itself in my brother Cliff played um, but I just I just gravitated to to the ocean into surfing I swam competitively when I was young I was pretty fast when I was when I was 12 I finished the uh, top 12 in the nation so I was thinking about going to college for for swimming um, all freestyle sprinter and, um, but then the surfing thing kind of got on my radar and I just remember at a young age, I was just fascinated by big wave surfing. Mm. I actually got to meet Laird at Lido when I was 12. So that was kind of cool. Cause I feel like that made it real a little bit by seeing mm. a human being and then going home and watching the VHS tapes that my dad had of Laird. So that was a cool moment. And then, uh, and then the traveling, the guys that traveled in to New York, like you said, you know, Flea came through. I remember mm -hmm. meeting him. Um, so, yeah, it was just like getting to meet him. And then I was reading articles. And I remember reading one article when I was like 14 years old, how like these guys were like partying. And it was in Surfer Magazine or something and charging giant Mavericks. And I remember being like, you know, Dad, like, I think I could do this, like, I can hold my breath for like four and a half minutes. I, 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 you know, my swimming, I'm here in my swimming ability. You know, I, I won the junior, uh, what was that? Junior lifeguard nationals. I won that. I'm like, I'm like, I feel like this is something I could do. You know, this guy's like, I read this article. Some of these guys are like partying hard <laughs> and you know, I don't do that. You know, I, so I remember having this deep conversation with my dad and, uh, Thank God he like, he said if I worked hard and, and I uh, saved them off enough money that he would take me to a big wave spot. And, uh, and you know, I got good grades. That was important. And um, then I remember busboying at night and then like either teaching swimming or surfing or lifeguarding during the day and I saved up enough money um, to get a plane ticket and a board from Jeff Clark. And we went out to a small day at Mavericks and I was there with my uncle Bill and and uh, Mike Nelson uh, from Unsound and and my dad and you know that was it. I got that one little tiny barely breaking Mavericks chip shot on a 10-6 single fin Jeff Clark and uh, I think Grant, Grant Washburn was out there that day and and then after that I was just like man whatever we have to do I want to try to keep doing this. Well, what about, what about before that in and around home? Like, cause obviously you mentioned, you know, being really attracted to big wave surfing and there's magazines and there's videos and you're meeting Laird and you're meeting Flea when they're coming to town. But like, were there, were there everyday local influences from that community that, that had tackled big wave surfing before? Were there, 
sizable waves you could access before having to travel for it back east? Like, what was that like for you? Um, I really honestly, like, there was a lot of guys from from the East Coast and from New York that definitely pushed pushed themselves out in Hawaii. Hmm. Um, but there was really nobody. I, I definitely had a hitchhike my way. I didn't have anybody. I never had anybody that uncled me. Mm. You know, I didn't have anybody that was like, that I was like, oh, that's the guy. Let me hit him up. Let me see if I can work underneath him and he could, you know, you know, Daniel's son, you know, like, right. right? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have that. So like a lot of my, my, my life is, uh, you know, was just hitchhiking, trying to figure it out. I actually like a version of the hitchhiking was when I was 17, West Lane, that that's actually West Lane. Uh, he sponsored me with WRV when I was 16. So Wes mm. kind of showed me, uh, like gave me that opportunity. He was in the Yeti I cow. You know, I think he, you know, that guy finished top 10 in the world on the CT. So right. he was kind of like, all right, you know, he, he saw something in me that like, I was like, wow, if he sees something in me, maybe there's a chance I could do something here. But he introduced me to, he reached out to Garrett. Hmm. And when I was 17, I went up to Garrett McNamara with like 300 bucks or something at Oceanside Harbor because they were going to Cortez Bank. And he told Wes to just show up with money and I can get on the boat. <laughs> and I just remember walking up to him and handing him the money and he just grabbed it from me. He was like, he's like, you're that Jersey boy, right? And I'm you know, I'm from New York, so yeah, I couldn't. Like, Absolutely I was so not. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I couldn't yeah. correct him. I was, sure. I was like, I was like, uh, yeah. And, you know, I just said yes because I was so scared of Gary McNamara. I was like, <laughs> and he was like, oh, grab those gas cans, load up the boat. And the next thing I know, I'm loading up the boat with all these gas cans, and then, uh, and then my boards in my my friend's car is going to San Diego University. He, was, he drove me there. I stayed in his dorm the night that night, and uh, I ran back and got my board. And he come, I come on the boat. He's like. Oh, Grom, you plan on surfing, huh? And I remember just like <laughs> freezing and not even saying anything, being, eh, eh, you know? So anyways, long story short, he ended up, uh, it ended up not being that big that day out at Cortez. It was like clean, but, you know, not as big as, big as, way big for me. Right, yeah. At the time, I was like, holy smokes. So I just ended up being his like guinea pig and he just towed me into a million waves screaming at me, go left, go left. You know, he was going nuts. He was like, and, uh, and that, that started my relationship with Garrett. And then, you know, Garrett definitely helped me a lot along the way, like going out to Hawaii, he always kind of like let me drive a ski on the smaller days. And that's where I kind of, that's when the light bulb went off for me. It was like, hey, like with Garrett and watching everybody, I was like, if I learn how to drive a jet ski really well, <laughs> then I'm not going to get in anybody's way. And they might invite me more on these trips. So that was like the light bulb moment out in Hawaii when I graduated high school early, went out to Hawaii. My brother Dave was swimming for University of Hawaii and I would sleep in his dorm and then take the bus up. And then WRV house, I kept my boards underneath the WRV. The owner kind of owned the house. We couldn't really stay there at the time. So I'd get my boards under there. And anyways, Garrett kind of let me, kind of took me under his wing and, and showed me how to drive a ski. And and then that was kind of, uh, like kind of the secret recipe to being able to kind of keep going was was there a moment when garrett asked if you were planning on surfing where in the back of your mind you went did i just 
Did I just pay Garrett to get the gas cans? Like what's happening here? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know what? I am, I, I was fully blackout. I was like, right. I couldn't believe he even like recognized me at the time because, you know, 17 years old, super gung-ho, wanting to be a big wave surfer. You know, this is like before any social medias and stuff. Like I, there was none of that, right? So I was like going off of like a whim. Like it was, he didn't even know I was really, he probably got a call like month, weeks earlier from somebody who said I might show up. And so it was like full through. So I don't remember it play by play, <laughs> but I do remember being very quiet and sitting in the back of the boat, there was like Josh Loya was on the boat and Skin Dog was on the boat and like guys that had posters on their on my wall my whole life were on the boat. And I just remember being like, wow, like this is insane. I can't believe I'm on this boat. And yeah, there's a cool story to that too. It's funny, um, exactly 20 years later was this year from that trip was uh, this year uh, out at Cortez and uh, with Garrett and Cotty and, and everybody. And, hundred uh, foot wave crew. So it was like a celebration of, of that, you know, had they, I listened to this, um, history podcast. I listened to it every week, but they had an episode about the continent of Abalonia, which is the creation of Cortez bank. And if you haven't heard it, it's like just this wild, like boxing grifter that was like, we're going to sink a rig onto this reef. We're going to create our own independent country continent in international waters and we're going to have an abalone factory and they had no idea that like huge swells would hit the shelf <laughs> it's just, i read that actually i oh remember reading God. that i thought it was make-believe is that no, real it's re totally real <laughs> i'll send it to you after this it's a mind-blowing but it's, yeah, it's well, such like, a scary guy like, yeah yeah and you know the crazy thing is like Somehow that guy probably almost got it passed, you know? <laughs> oh, he, yeah. <laughs> it sounds, if I remember correctly, the only thing that went wrong is everything uh, got destroyed because of the giant waves. <laughs> but outside of that, they were like technically within their legal rights. You know, like you mentioned West Lane and WRV seeing something in you at a young age. But in your own mind at the time, like had you kind of had a version of a professional surfing career crystallized. And by that, I mean, were you like, well, I, maybe I'll do contests and free surfing and big wave stuff. Or were you really focused? Were you starting to kind of realize like, I think the investment in me and I think my avenue is going to be in this sort of big wave space. Um, I knew right away that, mm. you know, let's call it like you have to kind of know who you are. You have to look in the mirror and it, at, at the end of every day, right? Or mm. the beginning of every morning. And I don't have the talent on a surfboard to compete at a CT level, straight up. But I can make quick drops, I can get in little tubes, I can make shore break drops, and I can carry that quick reaction drop into big wave surfing. Plus, Contests are always tricky for me. I mean, I remember I did Easterns. I got, I did the, did pretty well in Easterns one year. I think I got second, but I just, uh, I just love swimming. I love the ocean. I love the idea of like the magic behind surfing is like wave knowledge, right? That mm -hmm. like evens out the field. Um, when you take away wave knowledge, it's just straight up a talent contest, mm -hmm. right? So like the surfing is, there's a reading the ocean to me was something that uh that i've always loved about surfing right you you could if you 
you know, you could be in a crowded lineup, but if you could see the little ribs and the little curves and, and the, you know, especially in a beach break, a little, if you could read it a little bit better then you can get the good ones, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you can get lucky, right? You got, Oh, why is he so lucky? Why did, you know, so, you know, people say it's luck, but you know, sometimes, you know, it's, you know, you, you, you probably talk to thousands of surfers that, you know, got lucky in their life, but it's probably just their wave, you know, reading the waves and their wave knowledge. So, yeah, that, that comes up a lot on this podcast and the, the, what, where we've kind of, I've kind of landed on a personal philosophy on it is, you know, they talk about like foreign language. If you ever want to be truly fluent in another language, they say, you know, you're supposed to learn it between four and eight because your brain is still forming and, and you'll have that fluidity. It's not that you can't become like very, very fluent and good at speaking a foreign language. If you start learning at like 15 study for years and years, but they're like that true natural fluency comes from understanding it at a really young age. And, and I always thought of it similarly with, you know, people that seem really comfortable in the ocean, whether it's, you know, John out at pipe or even what you're describing your, your comfort level. I would imagine a version of that just comes from being, out there and, 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 and taught how to navigate the ocean or figuring out how to navigate the ocean at a really young age, because your brain gets comfortable and, and, you know, you, you, you run the string out on someone like that. And then they're 16, 17, 25, 35, and you're on the water with them being like, how's that person on every good wave? I don't get it. Like, what are they saying that I'm not, but they're probably not even fully conscious of it either. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's the, the I guess the 10,000 hour kind of idea right right yeah so yeah so that's but that's all to me like that's that's the addiction of surfing that's why surfing kind of can reach a lot farther than other sports because there's always the element of of the surprise wave right Mm. the the set of the day the the you know the one the magic one that comes to you the reading you read it correctly you know you didn't go on you know didn't go in the first wave of the set. You, you know, so there's the, the magic in, in surfing is like choosing which wave to go on. Um, and I think that's what keeps us all so super psyched on the sport is, is that element. And mm. I think we don't even think about it a lot. We watch these contests. We, we watch all these surfing clips. We're all, you know, surf fans here. Um, but the, the magic in between the waves, you know, what's going on between it and how is that person setting themselves up for that next wave? And how did they get that wave, right? Mm-hmm. Where did it all start? Yeah. I, I liked what you said about, you know, running it back a little bit, identifying a need, right? Because you, you, you want to get into this community. You, you're looking for guidance and mentorship and opportunity. And, you know, you, you, you get on the boat at Cortez. You, you start getting a little bit of access to Garrett McNamara in Hawaii. And, and in the back of your mind, you thought, well, if I can become a good ski driver, I can become useful to these people. And maybe that opens up more doors to me. And I just, I really enjoyed you articulating that approach to, to, you know, ingraining yourself with this group of people. When, when do things start to roll in terms of getting, you know, professional sponsorship support for what you wanted to do. You mentioned WRV, you know, who were some of the other sponsors that took an interest in you and, and who, who are you with today still? Yeah. So, um, being from New York, that's like, it accidentally has helped me, mm. you know, in the beginning we always thought, oh man, like, 
you know, you would think you would have to be from California or Australia or Hawaii um, to have a career at the sport. But I got sponsored at a young age by Zoo York and they were looking to pick up some surfers. And, and it was right when I was supposed to go to college and I got this contract from Zoo York and shout out to Nardelli and Seamus at Zoo York for seeing something in me. And, um, and they gave me, I think it was like 500 bucks a month and, and like a nice little travel fund. And, uh, it was like hitting the lotto. I couldn't believe it. And my dad was like, just do it for a year. You can always go back to college. And then that was like, you know, and I worked my way with New York for years. I be, helped become the, I worked my way into a team management position with them too, um, as well as surfing with them. And then that kind of, you know, zoo kind of, uh, stopped their surf program. And then that I learned, it was like going to college with those guys. I was with them, I think for like seven or eight years. And then that's, you know, that well, I learned so much from marketing and I learned so much from just like event throwing events and just like those guys were some of the most creative people I've ever met in my life. And I got a front row seat to like guerrilla marketing and at its finest, you know, like spray, you know, these guys are spray painting fake cockroaches and throwing them all over the city. Like it was like, it was cool, man. There was like, it was a, the golden era of uh, like, you know, true, true, like, you know, guerrilla marketing brands, you know, and it was cool. So I got to meet some really good people and I just carried that energy into the, my, you know, the scoot and surf and the camps and I kind of kept it fun. We always did events and then it got me to uh, 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 my relationship with Hurley. Um, Hurley, and then I've been with Hurley for over 10 years. I met when Evan Slater was on Hurley and Pat O'Connell. That's, you know, I knew those guys and we got connected. Um, I forget through who we got connected through, but we just, you know, we were speaking the same language and uh, they wanted a, a footprint in New York a little bit. and. And that was just a, it was just a natural, uh, feel, you know, connection with Hurley. They were really family oriented and they knew like it was a family, we were a family surf, uh, company and still surf a lot. And then five years after, you know, five years into the, my Hurley, uh, connection, uh, Yeti, mm. you know, Yeti just, um, you know, started from like just a very, very similar storyline of like scoot and surf and just focusing on on quality and product and and those guys they're so down to earth and I, it was just like such a natural progression natural fit i mean um for for me and so yeah i've been with yeti hurley for 10 years yeti five now and and uh yeah it's just been beautiful everything is really um what's the word i'm looking for yeah it's like organic you know mm. like very organic relationship just the products for both companies work hand in hand like even today this morning we had a nonprofit, uh our, our nonprofit surf for all down at the beach this morning and these you know these kids are getting suited up with hurley hurley wetsuits you know that we have a uh we decked out this like yeti filtration water system right at the surf club so they're filling up their water bottles and it's like you know, these kids, you know, they're, no one's, no one's looking at the brands, no one's looking at the logos, but it's just like, it's making the experience at Scoot and Surf just so much better. And right. that's like, 
what's been happening for the past decade and half decade with those two brands is the experience. It's just a, it's just a very, just kind of flows and we're just helping people stay in the water, you know, and that's, that's been the beauty of those. You know, we all kind of see the same thing at the end of the day. That does feel like it's a pretty common theme amongst, you know, modern day, like, partner relationships for for athletes and for surfers whereas you know 20 years ago 30 years ago especially when you're a young surfer and you you want to be included i think a lot of surfers we talk to or admit they're like well you know i signed with this company because i just i wanted to be in so badly and i didn't have a ton of agency over you know, how I was portrayed or what that relationship looked like. And then, you know, the ones that kind of make it are the ones that are, are a little bit maybe more mature in the way they deal with it. You know, they're partnering with brands and they're comfortable in saying no. And, and you know, when they do partner with someone, they're like, oh, I actually use those products. And that feels like a common thread with pretty much every Yeti ambassador we speak to. They're like, I was using the products before I had the partnership and I'd use them every day anyway. And, and it makes sense because they're, super durable and, and practical, but I imagine it's the same with you. You probably have Yeti stuff you use every day. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, um, the Camino, it's like, uh, the manliest purse ever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I actually, I use that. It's crazy. Uh, that bag I use every single day. And then even traveling, I use it as a, a tail protector for my boards. Oh, right. So, like, okay, I there you go. literally found like there's it always like reinvents itself. So like, and it just like, it's just perfect for wetsuits. And so that, that bag in itself has been like the, the bag for me, that's been like every single day. It's like just the, you know, you, and it, you know, you could just, I travel with it. I can keep everything in it. Just for me, that's just, that thing has just been like an everyday thing. And I would never before my relationship with Yeti, like I would have never like saw myself carrying around this bag all the time. But now my life is like, it's just, it's crazy how much I use the product, like without thinking about it. It's know? so, it's so funny. There's a few other products yeah. too yeah. that yeah. are just like really, uh, sorry to cut you off. No, yeah, no, no, just, you go, please. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the sidekick, you know, I talk a lot about jet skis, right? Right. So there's a, there's a little bag called the sidekick and it's it again, here we go with the, the world's manliest fanny pack basically. Right. <laughs> So it is, and it's waterproof and it's small and it fits perfectly in the ski, like right, not in that front hatch, but like right there, right in front of you. So I always keep like my sunscreen, my, my phone, like every like important, the fin key, like every important thing in that bag. And like, and I'm on a ski, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not, you know, thousands of times a year. So like, I have to have two or three of those like on deck. Like right. I, I stash a few in certain places. So it's funny, man. And, and, you know, it's just, it's kind of wild. Me and my brother were talking about the other day. Cause like there's these, um, we have these roadies, the roadie coolers that you fill with water and they're at every single one of our locations, our surf camp locations. And they're at the wave pool. And it's like, we were talking about this the other day, like how, like, what did we do before that? You know? Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I don't know, man. It's really it's a, it's cool, man. It's really been a, really been a healthy, awesome relationship. And yeah, we're looking forward to it. We have some, uh, some fun stuff in the future too. So we're, we're looking forward to some urban style, uh, stuff in the future. 
I like it. You know, like you mentioned something I thought was interesting before where you said it, it, a real blessing in a lot of ways on the sponsorship front to be from New York because it's it's not a a hugely impacted community with so many surfers that were as good as you, right? In a lot of ways. And for, for brands that are looking to tap into uh, uh, someone from New York, from, from the area that carries with them, you know, a lot of the culture from that really potent community as well is really valuable to them. You know, how, how much, if at all, have you had to kind of balance, you know, being from New York with kind of, I, I guess just kind of traveling the world, knowing that everyone kind of has um, was preconceptions about people from New York, and and knowing that kind of everyone in the world's probably heard of where you're from, but but that might not always be the other way around. Yeah, um, being from New York and like traveling, it, it's like it goes both ways, right? Hmm. Sometimes it's like it it's awesome because you know people are like, oh wow, I didn't know someone could surf from New York, right? And it kind of is like you know, like, it's like, you know, you get, you know, people don't expect you to, to be at a higher, a high level. So you kind of like, all right, yeah. You know, like it's kind of your starting ground. You can almost be like a uh, underdog kind of thing. Right. But then on the other side of it, it gets frustrating sometimes because there is generations of surf families, you know, from the bungers to like, you, you name them like all the way down the line. Like I could name I could probably I don't want to leave anybody out, but I could I could name thirty last names of generational surf families. Like and even going back, like Ricky Rasbusen, hmm. 1974 national champion, um, you know, ripped at pipe at you know, stayed I think at the Lopez's house and he you know, he was he was from New York, you know. So right. it's not we're not it's there's if you look at Gilgo Beach in the sixties in New York, it was crowded in the sixties, hmm. like shoulder to shoulder long borders. Like every family had one or two boards hmm. and, you know, surfing took a global dip in the, you know, seventies and eighties and made its rise back in the nineties. But you know, it, that for me, I'm like, oh man, like surfing is it like the epicenter of the East coast for surfing kind of was New York back in the sixties. And I think that gets forgotten a lot is that we're not like, we're not new here. I'm not like, you know, we're not the first surfers from New York to do any of this. Like we aren't, you know, there was guys spending time in Hawaii charging Waimea that were from New York, but they just, you know, they were just firefighters and merchant Marines. And, you know, like Dom Eichen gums is named after him and he's mm. a, he's a New York guy. He's a, you know, he got his teeth knocked out of pipe, got out of the water. Someone took a picture of him and ended up being on the cover of some Hawaii magazine. And everybody started calling uh, the wave next to pipeline gums after Don Eichen, a New Yorker. But, uh, you know, that's he wasn't like, yeah, I feel like the New Yorkers, they kind of were just winging it always. You know, they never right. really went about it as like a trying to be on any kind of competition or anything. So. But yeah, so the, that's kind of, it's it's helped me in my life being from New York, definitely. Um, and then at certain times you're like, ah, oh, man, you want to educate everybody. Like, hey, there's a huge right. heritage of surfers from New York, you know? So it definitely works for, for business and like for, for companies and stuff. It's, it's definitely cool because there's so many people. I mean, there's what, 12 million people that live in New York City. So 
you know, it's, it's important for, for the surfing community and especially the surfing market to, to understand that, you know, there's people here that they can team up with. And, you know, there's not just a few of us. There's, you go, you walk any jetty when the waves are good and there's a kid ripping or a guy ripping that, you know, could represent a brand globally, you know? Hmm. So I feel like there could be a little bit more, um, that, you know, influenced influencers or surfers that could team up with more companies here in, in New York. And especially with the market growing the way it is, I feel like it's a little swayed, you know, I feel like we could hmm. pull some more, more events and more stuff this way, you know? Yeah. And I think kind of to what you said before, like it, it certainly, you know, building up and, 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 and creating connective tissue with communities like surfing communities, like, like in New York, it, it eliminates a lot of the homogenization that happens in surfing a lot of times where it's like everyone's surfing the same. They're all from the same town. They're all surfing the same wave where, you know, someone like yourself or someone like Balaram like can then flourish at their home beach in New York and then go out on the world stage and offer something different and offer kind of a different perspective, both in and out of the water. And I, I think that just kind of makes surfing much better. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're just, you know, it, it, you see it, you know, you could see it on, on the global level, like certain guys that came from certain places where they didn't, didn't come from perfect waves or, mm. you know, perfect upbringings where they had people taking them under their wing and surf coaching and stuff. And, you know, there's a little grit to that, you know? So yeah, it's cool. It's not bad being the redheaded stepchild every <laughs> once in a while, you know? <laughs> but, I like uh, it. Yeah. Little chip on her shoulders are, you know, th there's a reason why, um, all of us over here on the Northeast, you know, East coast, we have punchy shore breaky barreling. There's a reason why all of us know how to get really barreled, but none of us know how to do a cutback, you know? <laughs> <laughs> We're all products of our environment. Yeah, we have the two stage cutbacks, you know, but, uh, well, we all have an end maneuver and we know how to get barreled. So. Although it doesn't yeah. explain you being able to knife a drop on a 60 footer at Nazare, but we'll get to that, I suppose. <laughs> I know, man, if you can make a drop at a shore break, a super steep shore break, a slabby shore break on a shortboard, then you could carry that same fast reaction surfing into big wave surfing for sure. Like, yes, you have to conquer the mental battles and the training and you have to be ready for the worst case scenario. Right. Cause you know, in my career, we've been in very heavy situations and and you need to be ready for those situations, not only for yourself, but to, to step up when other people need you. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but as far as that little, like making a drop on a shore break and a shortboard, a very heavy shore break, that technicality is on the same level as making a drop on a big wave, sir, big waves. And I, I mean, I mean, maybe it sounds crazy, but it's the truth. That makes sense. I, I actually think you should put that on the t-shirt. Just quote a drops, a drop. Will Scooten. Uh, I'm, I'm into it. <laughs> I'd buy one. What is that old quote? Uh, drop in, find out. <laughs> right. There you go. Remember that? Drop I in, remember. find out. There you go. We're yeah, going to take yeah. one more uh, quick break to get a word in from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. All right. We are back. This is the lineup. I'm Dave Prodan. I'm here with Long Beach, New York's Will Scudin. Um, Will, talk to me a little bit about your nonprofit, um, Surf for All. How did that get started? Like, wh what do you guys do through that program? Uh, Surfer All started from my brother Cliff, actually, uh, I think 13, 14 years ago. 
And uh, we just believe that you know this, the ocean's a source of healing that should be accessible t- to everybody for all. You know, so um, we noticed Cliff noticed and myself noticed a lot of um, nonprofits coming through New York and sharing the great messages that they're sharing and inspiring kids, whether it was uh, you know the Maliola or mm. Life Rolls On or Walk on Water or um, uh, what is it, Surfers Healing, mm-hmm. they all would come in and uh, they would just, we would help out and they would just put out magic and make kids super excited. And New York, you'd see the excitement on these kids in New York was just, it was really eye, you know, eye-opening to us. And um, they would go back or go back on tour or travel to the next spot. And we would kind of be left with a lot of stoked kids or parents that wanted their kids to keep surfing. So we, uh, we started our own nonprofit called Surf for All. And uh, we just kept the kids that really, um, you know, gravitated towards the ocean. And you could tell their healing properties of the ocean that were really working through them. Hmm. We, uh, we helped raise money and sponsor those kids to keep surfing um, throughout the year, you know, obviously in the summer, fall and spring, um, as far as the ocean goes, you know, it's, uh, we're really blessed and uh, excited to say that the New York school districts are finally recognizing surf therapy. Um, uh, we're California. You guys have been doing it for over 20 years. Hmm. New York finally, um, is recognizing surf therapy and they're bringing out the school, um, you know, kids with autism out to, um, to the surf club during school hours and uh these kids are using the ocean to you know generate um you know to stimulate them and, and get them rocking and rolling and we've seen uh, amazing healing and going go down from you know kids that were once not as vocal to being more vocal now and uh just you know just a build of confidence i would say like you know in a whole with that with the community so so that's been amazing, and then, uh, and then now the nonprofit working hand in hand with American Dream Mall at mm. at a Scoot and Surf at American Dream, a wave pool indoor, the indoor wave pool. Um, it's a such it was it's such a wild experience that wave because it's, yeah it's not the biggest wave it's not the the longest wave, um, but it is fun as it gets and like the when you come and you surf it and you actually you know, it's a punchy, really fun wave. And it's a, doesn't, you know, it's, it's impossible to show people the joy of that place from photos and video, but what we were able to do, and we just won a award with the, the wave pool summit, give us award, an award for utilizing the space as a place of healing mm-hmm. for kids that, um, and adults that needed to use it, whether they had any kind of physical or mental disabilities or, um, or financial, um, you know, if they couldn't afford to come, come out or they didn't have that backbone in their life to be able to, to utilize the sport of surfing. Um, we helped raise money and, and we teamed up with a lot of mentor companies and, um, the lawyer, Bea, um, Stoke mentoring, uh, chill foundation. There's a bunch of foundations that we team up with and they've been bringing these kids out and we've been, uh, utilizing the, the wave pool for, for healing throughout the winter and, and in through the summer too. But, mm. but that has been, uh, been incredible with a controlled environment and surfing at a wave pool. I feel like that's accidentally why these wave pools are made because those are the people that get the most out of it. 
Right. I mean, that was always kind of the great promise of Waveful technology. It's like we're going to democratize access to waves, you know, and, and, you know, even though the ocean's free, like it doesn't mean it's accessible for everybody. Um, and so that's, that is such a cool thing. And, and just so I'm clear, like, what is your role at that wave system, Scoot and Surf at the American Dream? My understanding is that the technology they're using is the perfect swell technology from American uh, wave machines, which I think is the same one they use in Waco. And if so, that is super punchy and super fun. And there's, it just produces so many waves and you can kind of service quite a lot of surfers at the same time. But w what's been your role in the development of that facility? Yeah, so we're we're just we're the surf experience in the off hours. So during the off hours, the nights and the mornings, we are providing a surf experience with multiple waves on the menu that you could choose from. You know, uh, we're broken into either private sessions or public sessions depending on your level and ability. So we we do our best to match the equipment to the board, to the instructor, to the wave in the water to give you a growing experience in the water. So yeah, that's kind of you know it's it's. Um, it's really worked out into some really like really cool. It's a really good spot place for that intermediate advanced surfer to really like break through those barriers. And I keep talking about like quick reaction surfing. Right. And you, it really, it's small adjustments make big improvements in surfing. And we're noticing that, that, you know, the, the pool time really carries over into the ocean with a lot of people. That's so, very yeah, cool. it's uh, it's been fun. It's been there were great staff over there, and like, there's nothing better than walking through four feet of snow, and then walking into this bubble, and it's eighty degree water, eighty degree air, and you're in you're five ten minutes from New York City. It's it's like I still walk in there, and I've been you know, been there for three years, working there, building, helping build the whole model, and like I still get this wow feeling, like <laughs> what is going on here. So it is, uh, it's, it's really cool. So, and, and it's so close to New York city and I think that's the magic of it. Right. To just be the other day was raining, like pouring rain and the whole roof, you can hear the rain going off and all these people are surfing bareback without even not, they didn't even, they just heard the music. They didn't even hear the rain, you know? So it was really cool. I mean, we deal with so many elements being from the Northeast like you know when the waves are good they're good for four minutes you know right, I mean? right, when, yeah. the waves are, when the weather's good it's good for an hour it's like so just to delete that out of your head and be able to just go catch a fun wasted chest high wave that pumps out every half every 30 seconds is is definitely gave a lot of people a lot of sanity especially guys like my age you know that are uh you know life 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 gets busy man when you get older and uh so a lot of guys that maybe haven't had time for surfing in their life as much as they wanted. Mm -hmm. Now they can go at night or early in the morning and kind of get the, get their wave, their reps in. Right. You're not burning all that energy. We talk about this a lot when it's like, like people at the climbing gym, like the rocks are always there versus surfers who are like, man, what's the tide and the wind and the sandbar and the swell direction, like just driving around for hours going like, I just couldn't find it where people are like, yeah, well, if it's there and you know, it's going to be good. Like you're, you're saving so much energy. Take, taking it back to this upcoming El Nino season, you mentioned something really interesting in, in the first segment about not feeling the pressure to be on every swell, not feeling the personal pressure to like 
push it maybe as much as you were. And, and I'm always interested in having this conversation with, with, with big wave surfers because there's a bit of the, you know, dragon slayer um, complex to it, right? Where it's like, well, yeah, like slaying these dragons and riding these big waves and pushing myself so why I get out of bed in the morning. And then at some point, you know, either the dragon gets you, you have to kind of step away a little bit. And, and sometimes people do it. You mentioned Ken, Ken Skin Dog Collins. I think one day at Mavericks, he just said, yep, that was me. I'm done. I'm, I'm done putting that pressure on myself. Sometimes, you know, talking to someone like Shane Dorian, he's like, yeah, my kids were a big driving force in me being smarter and more calculated in, in how I'm approaching big waves. Has anything contributed to your current perspective on, on chasing big waves and pushing it out in the water or, or is it just a, a place you've ended up? Um, yeah, you know, it's crazy. Like, uh, about a year ago or two years ago, I, I like it hit like a brick wall and I, I, I remember just kind of talking to myself and just, uh, just realizing that like I accomplished my dreams mm. in my life as, as a, you know, as a wave rider, you know, I, I rode the waves I've always wanted to ride and I've accomplished my goals. Like I never really set out to be like a big wave world champion. Mm. I didn't set out to like win contests. Like I just really honestly wanted to ride these waves that I was seeing in magazines and VHS tapes. And it, the, the tours and the events kind of evolved as I was becoming a part of this community. So you know, making a few finals in my career at Jaws and Puerto Escondido and Nell Scott Reef and, you know, doing, getting like when they, when it was, you know, the WSL was, I mean, it wasn't WSL. I don't know who was running at the time, but, you know, they did these awards and at the end mm -hmm. of the year and, you know, getting nominated for a few of those awards and stuff is like, you know, as far as like, you know, I realized that like that was just like the crazy bonus. Like mm -hmm. I didn't really. And then now then when I got in that space, I remember like after like a final being like, oh, I could win this next year. I was so close. I was looking at the points. I'm like, oh, I just got to do this. And then I'm like, you know what, man? Like. That's just like the crazy competitor in me, like mm -hmm. being, like I never set out to do that. I never set out to win any big wave contest. I really didn't. I, I never set out to try to be the best big wave surfer in the world. I, that wasn't my goal. My goal when I was young was just to be, be in the lineup and be a part of that community and, and look across the lineup. And like when these guys that were, are my heroes, um, that are now my peers, like saying hi to me and telling me, Oh, sick one or nice wave will like, like I get choked up just talking about it, but like, that's what I always wanted. You know, like I just wanted to be a part of it and, and, uh, get these waves, you know, just be a, just the waves themselves have so much feeling when you ride out of a wave, uh, you know, it just, there's just so, it, it just creates so much energy in your blood. And there's just some special route riding big waves that, that just really drew me to it. And, and it'd be a part of it was what I always wanted. And, and when I felt that and I accepted that I accomplished my goals as, as 
you know, as a surfer, it was a tough moment because then it was kind of like, now what? <laughs> you know? Well, I was, I'm and, glad I was going to ask, like, did it, it was, was it relief? Was it sadness? Like, was it a mixture? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Well, they say it's, it's about the, the journey, not the destination. Right. Mm. And, uh, so that's kind of like, that's a great quote, but when you get to your destination and you're kind of done with the journey, you know, think about that quote the, the other way. Right. So right. It was a moment where it was a low moment in my life where I was, I was like, you know, what am I doing? You know? So I had to dive deep, you know, and, 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 you know, talk to myself, my family, to God. And I kind of found where I wanted to be. And now, you know, I'm just going in at it at my own pace. And, you know, some of my best waves in my life have been in the last year, hmm. especially with like guys like Andrew Cotton by my side now. And, you know, good friends in Ireland, you know, with um, my friend Dylan and Barry and Connor and, and, you know, just being able to take a step out and, and just see what's going on around me rather than being like this hyper-focused big wave surfer. Um, there's magic in that and, and just getting to enjoy it with my family and friends around me and not, and just seeing the magic that was always surrounding me, but I never really got to see it because mm. I was so focused on, on the next set. Right. So, so yeah, so yeah, there was a down point, but like, like I said, it's a round world. Right. So I went, i I got to the destin. I realized I got to my destination as an athlete. But then it brought me back to square one, to my first waves, to my first day teaching someone to surf, to my nonprofit, to like getting like getting everybody everybody out there has their own fifty footer and maybe I'm the guy that can help people get that one, you know? Whether it's a two footer or it's a one footer, it's the nonprofit work or whatever it is. But you know, my waves will always I, I'm I'm blessed, man. Like when I'm in the lineup at home, like Sometimes I just let like five waves go, five set waves go by just because I see everyone so psyched. I'm like, like I, sometimes I don't even paddle for waves anymore, you know? And I feel like that's a big reason why sometimes I don't get on, didn't get on the airplane to go to Mavs, you know? You know, it's, I, you know, there's definitely some changing going on, but, uh, but I'm excited about it. I'm excited to be an uncle to a lot of these kids coming up on the East Coast. Got a lot of kids reaching out to me. A lot of youth and on the East Coast that saw that I I was able to do it, and um, you know I'm here for them and a lot of them and help guide them and you know tell them the things that you know I've done wrong and the things I've done right. So yeah, so being more of an uncle, um, being more of an ambassador of the sport, and still getting my waves, man. I, you know, don't I'm not hanging it up. I'm definitely not. I'm going. You know, like I'm a little Michael Jordan. Not, no, I'm not calling myself Michael Jordan, but like, you know how he went to baseball and then back to basketball and like, <laughs> you know, so like, uh, far from that guy, I'm more like a, yeah, uh, John Starks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Appreciate you uh, sharing yeah, that yeah. with us. That's really well articulated. Yeah, so that's where I'm at now. And I, yeah, like, like I said, like it's, uh, that's it. I was wondering if you were going to kind of tap into that, but it's, it's funny. Cause like you talk and then like, that's definitely an emotional thing because 
we put our lives on the line and there's, we've lost friends. I've, mm. I've almost, you know, lost my life. Um, so, you know, so we kind of, you know, we're all brothers out there and we all get to look after each other and, and sisters. And, you know, there's a sick, sick, um, community now. And I'm just blessed to be a, an uncle in the mix. It's very cool. We uh, we put a feeler out on our Instagram channel at, at the lineup pod for questions for you. We got a ton back, um, but we've we've whittled them down to three. Um, first question is from at Avant Surfwax. Uh, sorry, at Avant Surfwax, who asks, "Can you walk us through the visualization you do weeks before riding big waves? That's assuming assume, really cool. assuming you do visualization." Yeah, yeah, that person definitely must know or has come through one of our experiences because my mom actually uh, taught me like the art of visualization at a young age. I used mm. to visualize my swim races when I was like six years old. So um, there's different environments to visualize, um, but I always try to do it in the morning before um, any uh, session. And, uh, you just got to calm yourself down. You got to find a happy place and just kind of close your eyes. It could be, it could only be for one minute or it could be for 10 minutes, you know, or it could be for a half hour, but you know, uh, you just got to find, find a happy place and just close your eyes and just run through your, your day or run through your waves and just really, really get it dialed. Don't just go for the wish, you know, go really live it, live every bump of every takeoff, every paddle, and really walk your way through your waves or, or your experience or whatever you're doing that day. Walk, your, walk yourself through it. And almost like if you were to watch what you were doing that day in slow motion. You know, I tell people when you visualize what you're about to do, slow it down, you know, times 10, you know, slow it down and just really walk yourself through it. And then you could walk yourself through it and then, uh, you know, 50% of the time or maybe less, <laughs> it works out that way. But hey, man, when there's some magic in, in visualization and it's not just wave to wave, it's also in life. Oh, I like it. Great answer. Uh, second question is from at Jack Bush, who asks, what is your favorite pizza slice in New York? Damn, that's, that's an important question. question. Yeah, that's gnarly. That's crazy. <laughs> well, it depends on where I'm eating. Cause like the better the pizza place, the more simpler the slice, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, there's a place in Brooklyn called Lindustry, and um, actually, uh, Action Bronson brought me there for the first time and uh, name dropping. I don't like doing that, but whatever. He brought, <laughs> hey, me there he brought you. Time. That's the way it worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was with my with Jay here, um, and uh, it was a regular slice, and it was just very basic margarita. Um, with some olive oil, thin crust, and it was just next level. And yeah, that was it. That's just a regular slice from the from Linden Street, Linda Street in uh, Brooklyn. But if I'm a, I'm a, if I'm at home, then I'll do like a buffalo slice from like Geno's or or East End Pizza. But yeah, I don't know, man. That 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 uh, margarita slice from Linda Street was next level. I like it. Uh, last one that we, we culled from the herd here on Instagram is from at Hunter sends it who asks, what was your longest hold down? Damn. That's a good one. 
Uh, my longest hold down was January 5th, 2007. <laughs> and Memorable. Todos Santos in Mexico. And it was uh, a day that all of us will remember. Like Greg was there, Rusty, Healy, all the boys, the whole squad was there. It was massive. And uh, pretty much all of us got clean. I don't think, I think Greg just rode a wave to the channel, but all of us got cleaned up. Healy got cleaned up. I got cleaned up. Rusty got cleaned up. All, all the whole lineup got cleaned up by this one set. And uh, I was in front of Mark paddling up the wave. And it was probably the biggest wave I've ever paddled up in my life, <laughs> still to this day. And I didn't ditch my board because I didn't want to kill Mark. Literally, I remember I was directly in front of him when I started paddling. So I was like, you know, this is, I was young, right? So I was like, I don't want to be the guy that kills Mark Healy. <laughs> so I f held onto my board. And I got sucked over the falls trying to punch through. I got sucked over, you know, from 60 feet above sea level to 60 feet below sea level in like a fraction of a second. And uh, yeah, I was under forever. I don't even like I literally like it was one of those moments where I had to dive deep into the brain. This is before flotation and all that stuff. So. Yeah, I, I honestly, I almost died. I, I, I honestly like really came to. All like, I guess I, I came up, but I was my buddy was on a, a ski. Randy Lane, uh, West Lane's brother, and I got on his sled, and uh, I don't remember any of this. And then I, he, I was throwing up a little bit, and uh, he said I was under forever. He was mm -hmm. like, he couldn't believe how long I was underwater for. So, yeah, I, I actually didn't even surf. I didn't surf for like six months after that. Hmm. And I didn't want anything to do with big wave surfing. And then, uh, you know, after the summer, the restart of New York summer right. kind of came around, you know, I kind of got back into it. But, uh, but yeah, that was the worst one. That was the worst one. And uh, I was probably seconds away from not being alive anymore. Yeesh. Well, thank you to, uh, to everyone that wrote in at the lineup pod. Thank you for answering, Will. We are now down to our final segment, which is the lightning round. So here are 10 questions for you to answer as quickly as you can. First question. If you could only have one board set up for the rest of your life, single fin, twin fin, thruster, quad bonzer, or finless, which would you choose? Quad. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Burrito or pizza? Burrito. Oh, wow. Uh, last book you read? Uh, the last book I read was uh, Garrett's book, The Hounds. Uh, what's that book? What's the name of it? Hound of the Sea. There you go. Uh, best surf film ever? Focus. Hmm. One wave you never have to go back to? <laughs> Mavericks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you only get to surf one wave for the rest of your life and you can dream cast it it could be perfect conditions just your buddies but one wave what would it be um mulligmore ireland hmm. uh best person to share a lineup with my brother cliff worst person to share a lineup with 
My brother Cliff's friends. <laughs> uh, last one. Finish this sentence. I will next achieve a state of happiness by... Fishing with my family. I like it. Uh, Will, for listeners out there that want to get more involved in what you do, whether it's the nonprofit or the wave system, where, where can people get more information? Uh, just check out scootandsurf.com or just put in scootandsurf. Um, that, that should get you everything you need. You can go check it out on there. It could bring you to our nonprofit Surfer All. It can also bring you to our web, our uh, wave pool experience. So yeah, just check out Scoot and Surf. Just throw it in the Google and, and it could kind of take you wherever you need. But uh, yeah, yeah, come check us out if you're in New York. Um, you know, come get a few waves with us. Right on. Will Scooten, thank you so much for coming on the lineup. Congratulations on everything you continue to do in surfing. And uh, yeah, I got to get out to the East Coast and check, check your programs out because um, they sound really cool. Yeah, brother. We love to host you. Thank you so much for your time. So that's it. That's the lineups conversation with New York's Will Scooten, an episode presented by Yeti. I hope you enjoyed it. Special thanks to Jason Belsky and Floored Media for production support in New York. Today's episode is executive produced by Jed Pearson, Tim Greenberg, and myself. Produced by Miguel Clemente with art direction by Jason Penning and copywriting by Dan Willen. Thanks to them and thanks to our sponsors. We appreciate their support. The lineup acknowledges that is recorded and produced on the ancestor lands of the Chumash, the Kumeye, and the Lenape native people. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you're at, and we'll see you next Tuesday.